We follow um, this uh, Let Our Light Shine, again, the theme that the children have been following throughout this fall, and today will be our last day looking at that. And as we've taken this month of October to look at um, how it is that our Let Our Light Shine, we've been following or looking in different places in Scripture that talks about light. And so today we turn to one of the letters. We go to 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verses 2 through 10. You may find it on your pew Bibles on page 233 in the New Testament section, if you want to read along. I invite you now to listen to the word of our Lord. Like newborn infants, long for the pure, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, come to him a living stone through rejected by mortals, yet chosen by precious and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, yet yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember hearing about a congregation in a suburb area that had an idea of opening up a daycare center. The Christian Education Committee had discussed the proposal, or proposed it to the session, and the elder named Helen butted in at the last minute. She said, why is the church in the daycare business? How would this be part of the church's ministry? Proponents of the idea went over the reasons. Uh, it was a good use of the building. They would attract young families. It was another source of income. And the Baptists, they said, you know the Baptists, well, they have one down the street. And besides Helen, said another committee member, you know that it's getting harder every day to put food on the table. Both people in a couple must have full-time jobs. That's not true, said Helen, and you know that's not true. It's not hard for most people in our church to put food on the table. There are people in our town whom putting food on the table is extremely challenging for. And if we're talking about ministry to them, I'm all for it. But we have seen to be talking about ministry to those whom it has become harder every single day to have three cars, a 60-inch TV, and a place at the lake. I just hate to see the church telling young people that somehow their life will be better if they could only just get more stuff. The church ought to be courageous enough to say that's a lie. Things don't make life. What Helen was asking was the basic question of the church. How do we live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
And this is precisely why the letter of 1 Peter was written. 1 Peter is a letter that was intended to be circulated to Christian communities scattered in regions that were controlled by the Roman Empire. In this Greco-Roman culture, religion was not trusted at all. This mistrust was trickled down by the leaders of society. The Roman Empire leaders worried that the religion would impair the established hierarchy relationships, causing slaves and women to question their authority. They feared that Christianity would create insubordination within the household structure and sedation against the state. They feared that Christians were a threat to the status quo. So the author of 1 Peter writes a letter outlining how to not only live in society, but how to continue to live into the light of Christ, pushing up against that status quo until heaven and earth are reconciled. It's a call that continues to the church today. And although we do not live in a culture where our lives are threatened because we're Christians, we do live, however, in a society that idolizes power and would prefer that Christians stay straight in line and not interrupt the status quo. Christian martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer was once asked, what's the most radical thing that the Christian faith makes? His response, the most radical thing that Christianity makes is, together that we are the body of Christ. Together we are the light of the world. And Peter said, to live this radical, to live radically in this light of Christ, it requires us not to just be any church at all, but a church that is willing to risk its own status quo. A church that together with God is caring and is growing and is serving. To care, Peter writes, is like a newborn infant who yearns for the mother's breast. The church must partake in providing spiritual milk. It, it means to care means that we not only have to be comfortable with nurture, but a place that invites each and every one of us to attain spiritual nourishment. To care as a church in such a way means that we have to be okay with hard conversations. That we have to be okay with tears and crying and no answers to those difficult questions. We have to be a, a patient we have to listen, and we have to provide an alternative to a broken world in which we live. My friend Rebecca recently remembered when I was in college, I frequently walked past an old church at the edge of campus. It was on those paths leading from the university to the main street of campus. And the street had everything from that $5 burrito place to uh, frat houses to the movie theater to all the major watering holes. This path went right past the church. And as you can imagine, it was a road well-traveled. 
in the middle of the path, the church placed a sign. It was mostly an invitation to invite people inside, but the very bottom of the sign said, know that God still cares for this broken world and for all its creatures. And at the cross, even when everything else fails, yet makes this appeal. I read that sign a lot during my four years, she continued, after September 11th, before we went to war with Iraq. On the day my best friend's father died suddenly. And after tragedies of 2021, this sign was brought back to my mind. And so I emailed the church office. I asked them if they could tell me exactly what was written on that sign. It turns out the church removed the sign a while back after the church construction. When the work was finished, they didn't put it, put it back. In the words of the church administrator, she said, some people felt it was awfully gloomy and attracted to attract students to come inside. If we remove care from the essence of church together, then we risk being the status quo. We risk no longer being a church. I believe with all my heart that if we, went, if we want to live into the light of Christ, then we have to be okay with gloomy. We have to be comfortable sitting in the darkness. And the reason the church shouldn't and can't hide away from darkness it's because our hope doesn't lie in us. Our hope isn't in us to create some light. Our hope is that God's light will always prevail. And this type of hope does not come easy. It doesn't come naturally. It's a type of hope that is learned over time. It requires each and every one of us to be changed, to be transformed. For relying on our own power to supply the light. To God supplying the light. It requires us to grow. And Peter says, you want to be a church that lives into light, that, that pushes against the status quo? Then you must be like living stones and letting yourself be built. Well, as we may say it as a church today, it requires growing. Blue Willimon, the retired dean of Duke Chapel, recalled having lunch with a student who was singing in the choir at the chapel. And the student brought along with a, a friend to lunch, and students will do that. They, it's very uncomfortable and scary to be alone with your pastor. And so I was introduced to the friend as a football player. The football player was a sophomore. And as we went along with lunch, the football player offered up that he used to go to church now, I haven't brought church up at all, but I guess that he thought that he should mention church to sort of break the ice and everything. He said that he went as a kid, but he was no longer in the mood to go to church right now. I told him that was fine, and that was okay, um, but he just kept talking about it over and over, and finally, I told him, you seem pretty adamant about this church thing. Why, must I ask? Well, to tell you the truth, I'm kind of enjoying myself. I'm a sophomore, I'm in my sophomore year, and from what I remember about church and what I remember about Jesus is that you have to change. And I'm pretty happy with the way my life is right now. 
oh, William, William replied, you're enjoying yourself right now? You're in the, this sort of the sophomore slump, having fun partying and, and being on your own, and you don't want to risk any of that by coming to church. Right, exactly, you understand. You know, probably in my senior year, when I'm a little bit older, but right now I have more stuff to do, more fun to have before I sort of, you know, rein it in. I said, by all accounts, that is the best reason for not coming to church than anybody I've ever heard in my entire life. He thought that I was making fun of him, but I said, no, no, not at all. I mean, I hear lots of reasons why people don't come to church. I hear that it's too boring or, or it's too irrelevant or that they've heard it all before or they're just too busy. But you're telling me that you don't want to come to church because you fear the risk of being changed from where you are right now. Yes, exactly. You understand. And that is the best reason for not coming to church that I've ever heard. If we remove growth from the church, then we would quickly become idols to our own status quo. To grow as a church means we are open to being transformed by the light of God. It means instead of reading scripture, uh, seeking to confirm our ideologies, that we enter into scripture open to God's word. This also means that we can't do it alone. If we only read alone, then we become idols to our own power. Instead, God calls us back to church together. And as a church, for us to be built into a spiritual house, to be a safe place for us and for others to know Jesus. And then Peter says, if we are open to grow, if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to sit in the darkness from time to time, caring for others, and and allowing others to care for us. And something happens to us. And we don't care who knows about it. So we go from this church and we proclaim to others that the mighty acts of God who's called us out of darkness and into the living light of Christ. And to proclaim such a statement looks different. For all of us, it looks different for the time we're in. And sometimes that looks like just saying the words out loud. Sometimes it's me just talking about my journey. And other times it looks like loading boxes into the back of a car at the food pantry. Or sitting with a student at Star, teaching them how to read. Or cleaning a room out for a person that is experiencing homelessness. And other times it just shows up in our daily routine. But this is what we call serving. And among the many, many ways that we are to proclaim this good news, perhaps we as a church need to start with one. Maybe we need to begin with success. Success in our culture has been reduced to a, a house, a job, a car. Success, we're told, hinges on the promotion, on a college acceptance letter. Success defined by our culture is power. But it doesn't have to be that way. Deborah spent years running this, around in the streets. 
consumed by prostitution and, and drugs, Deborah's chaotic and out-of-control life was her birthright. She inherited her mental illness from her parents, and she learned to steal from her mother, and her mother's boyfriend forced her to be a prostitute. During her years on the street, Deborah ran up over $20,000 in debt by visiting the emergency room. Deborah was arrested a dozen times a year, spending about an average of 100 days a year in jail. Deborah's life changed on a cold November day a couple years ago when she realized that she had to change her life or she would die on the streets. Deborah got an apartment through the homeless shelter at a church, and they provided her not just with a, a bed and a meal, but, they, but with the connection and the care that went around the clock. The catch was that she would have to be clean and sober, stay on her mental health medication, and try to find a legitimate job for a source of income. It's been a difficult year for Deborah, but Deborah's grown, and she has found success. Deborah's success is measured from a different yardstick than my success and your success. Success in, in the Deborah, it has been that she's not been arrested in 12 months. Success for Deborah looks like she has not woken up in an emergency room or detox in the last 12 months. Success for Deborah is she's stabilizing her medications. Success is that she's been working, cooking meals and cleaning apartments for the church shelter. Success is that she has created a small savings account for the first time in her life. Deborah's success came from her own hard work and the help of the church folks who are willing to live into the light of Christ, to live into the risky enterprise of pushing against that status quo of the world. Friends, as a church, we are called to care. We're called to grow. We're called to serve. And if we take this seriously, then what we are doing, we are venturing into risky territory. Because if we do this, following the light of Christ, we will push up against that status quo. And we will push up against the powers of our society. And our status quo within our church will begin to change. But as a church, we're called to move forward, to follow the light together. And we do not do this just to do it. We do it because this is who we are. That's our identity. Together as a church, Jesus said, we are the light of the world. Delight is our door to faith. Delight is our pathway to joy. Because the light that we see has the name and the face of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.